Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crip, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, March 3rd, 2014. During this week in history, in 1904, the writer who made reading fun for all of us, Dr. Seuss, was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. Dude, happy birthday. I'm Silvia Girardi, a theater director and a performer. I'm here to share with my old and new supporters my upcoming project. I work with theater, dance, music and video artists to create device performance works. Okay, now who will I be talking to during this interview? Silvia Girardi. And how do you pronounce the title of your project? How do you pronounce that? Humanita Trilogy. And what does Humanita mean? Humanity. It's just humanity in Italian? In Italian, right. Okay. Theater trilogy on on nature and humans. And you guys are out of Milan, Italy. Yeah. I mean, to me, you guys are kind of like tree huggers in a way. From watching your video, I see that you guys, you kind of talk about um, jellyfish and seeing yourself like maybe in the eyes of a firefly or something like that. I was trying to imagine how would I even get to that level, whereas I could imagine myself in the place of those animals or organisms or insects. How would you do it? Well, we want to speak through the voice of nature, so we chose to have the protagonists of our stories are imagined, of course, voices. We don't know what a firefly thinks about pollution. And we don't know what a jellyfish thinks about an oil spill in the ocean, but we sort of humanized those creatures to portray a magical, you know, story that can tell how urgent and uh, dangerous is uh, our actions are, right. and they can affect other beings in a very dramatic way. That's your number one goal right now: saving the planet. I can instill a small actions and reflection. Right in the audience that in large scale, yes, can change the world. There's nothing wrong with wanting to change the world. It's better than not wanting to change the world. And, and, <laughs> and every person can, you never know who's affected by any type of art that you put out. So you could definitely change someone's life who could go on to change the world. And that's a noble and a pretty cool cause actually. So I guess I can yeah. understand that. Now, okay, your formative years in the United States and you come back to Italy and you do these plays and stuff like that. And, you know, earlier I said maybe you guys remind me of tree huggers because of the touchy-feeliness of trying to save the environment. And I know it sounds negative, tree hugger, but I don't mean it is negative. I just want to be blunt. But I want to ask you, is this the cause of the moment for you? Or are you totally dedicated to this? You know, like, like five years from now, you'll be on a totally new kick, the environment, oh, that was cool, then it's done, I'm over with it, I moved on. Well, I'm totally, and more than that, dedicated to this. And this is my way to be an activist. Right. So I do it through art. I'd like to think of DJ Grandpa as an activist, but I just can't figure out an angle that I could make that stick. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, you, yes, I see how you're an activist, but... But anyway, it's about you, so let's go back to your story. Tell me about the three acts of this play, or the three books of this theater trilogy. Yeah, the trilogy is book one, which is a theater piece. 
Right. It's a show, and the two protagonists of the show are two actresses, and they represent two jellyfish. This particular kind of jellyfish is able to reproduce itself by decomposing and going back in their life cycle. So it's a very unique type of um, animal. And they're also called immortal jellyfish just because they potentially never die, because they continue to reproduce themselves and they sort of clone themselves into many other jellyfish. And this is real, right? This is real. Yeah, this it's is... real. They okay. exist in the Atlantic, in the Mediterranean, in Japan. All right, see, you're teaching me something new already. See, I mean, that's totally yeah. cool. <laughs> now, what's book two? Book two is a short movie. It's dedicated to fireflies. We want to alert people about the disappearing of the species because of light pollution in our cities and countryside. We choose a sort of love story. The drama is that the, the male firefly is flying above the fields and is not able to see the female fireflies who is on the ground. Right. Because of too much light. From artificial sources, too much light. From yes, yeah, from gotcha. street lights, from car passing by. Pollution, so light they pollution. Get confused. Yeah, I got They you. get confused. So it interrupts their mating cycle. Exactly. Now, book three looked crazy to me. I didn't know what that guy was doing in that video. <laughs> okay, I can tell you more. Okay. Book three is connected with our individual action and how our individual action can actually affect the world. So we are studying how the sign in painting is generated from the source. Mm. This painter is a very renowned Italian contemporary painter, and he invented this gymnastic of sign. It's a series of exercises where you can free the pure uh, genesis of the sound how your sign starts to grow before you put it on the paper. Right. So it's truly a training for the painter or the creator or the writer also, so it's not only related to painters. Okay. But it can talk to many different types of artists or creative people. I still don't get that one, but maybe someone else will, though. Maybe someone else will. Well, it's basically a series of exercises right. that create awareness in your body, in space, and it uses sign, but also audio, and it also uses choral actions with a okay. group. Do you feel that your awareness campaign is spreading, like you're making a difference? I'm trying to tell a magical story right. and let the audience find their own meaning. Okay. So I'm not imposing a meaning. I don't want to judge the human being. I don't want to make them feel guilty for what we have or what we have done to the planet, but... Uh, just to alert that there is a lot we can do in the future to guard our action and keep the planet clean. I'm going to say this, and maybe this makes me a pessimist. I don't think that I'm a pessimist, but I think that mankind or humankind or whatever is always on the brink of self-destruction. I mean, always. And I think for the most part, we will be on this trajectory for a long time. That doesn't mean that we will destroy ourselves, but we're always on the brink. Do you feel anything like that, or are you a more hopeful person? I think I have both. I do have the pessimistic view, but I learn to grow what is the positive and hopeful side of things. Right. So it's a constant struggle. Now I'm going to ask you a prejudicial question, I guess. When you're just talking to people, like, like say me, 
I'm a stranger to you, you're just talking to me. Do you feel like sometimes like they just don't get it? DJ Grandpa just does not get it. He he doesn't understand. And if you're saying that about me right now or thinking it, what am I not getting? I think you're not getting the potential of human being. In the core and source, there is love. And so if we touch that through an art piece or through um, our actions every day, through a smile, I think that is powerful and maybe someone would get it. Maybe 80% of human being, average human being, will not get it. Is there any hope for me, <laughs> Sylvia? Is there any hope for me? I mean, have you lost all hope in DJ Grandpa? I mean, well, um, yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> you did. <laughs> but you're doing this. I don't think you would want to help all these people if you weren't hopeful. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is some hope for me long down. You know, yeah, maybe. I like maybe. It's yeah. better than no. <laughs> you can kick me while I'm down. You know, if you got more to pile on, please go ahead. You know, I can take it. Grandpa, be positive. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. See, that's perfect <laughs> right there. Now, for anyone out there, she was hard on me. I don't know why exactly, but I did ask for it, so that's cool. Humanity. <laughs> A theater trilogy on nature and humans. And Sylvia is taking everyone to task. She's pulling cards, and she's all the way in Italy, and she's come to America, and she's checked it out for 10 years, and she's gotten a unique perspective, and now she's going back and taking it home, and she's doing whatever she has to do to help out the planet in the best way that she can with the theater. And if you can't find any links for her there on Kickstarter, because her project is on Kickstarter, and she doesn't have that many days left, so she does need your help. She does need your help because she doesn't have that many days left and she's not funded yet. So go to kickstarter.com and if you can't find Sylvia there, if you're looking for Sylvia all over and you just can't find her, go to djgrandpa.com and we will provide links for Sylvia and her project, Humanita. Thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, saying that there is some hope for DJ Grandpa Sylvia. Yes, that's right. Hey zombie fans, The Survivor's Zombinac is a reference guide for the average person who's just looking to survive the impending zombie apocalypse. The book is written and drawn in the style of a 1950s public service video and contains a narrator who gives you the advice you John, need to stay alive. welcome to the crib. Well, Hello. The main you look like you could take on a few zombies or so. I'm a pop culture nerd, so as tough as you can be as a pop culture nerd, I guess. I watched a video and the trailer at the end is pretty cool when you got little Simon, you know, I want to call him Timmy or something, you know, the kid who keeps falling in the well with Lassie, but it's Simon. You know, I really wanted to see him die. I mean, I know that was wrong and I know he's kind of leave it to Beaver or Dennis the Menace, but I really was glad when he got knocked off. But what about the looming threat of a zombie apocalypse? Oh, that's a bunch of Philly. Simon, zombie apocalypse is no laughing matter. You'd better be prepared. The kid who does the talking in the video, he was the one that scripted it, choreographed it, did pretty much all the graphics, everything like that. So, What's Timmy's name? What's his real his name? His name is Connor Orr. He put together another video also for me. If you look at the clothing line I created called Not Zombie, 
you never know the amazing talent of people around. And I think that's... Is he a neighbor? No, it was just a friend we knew in Pennsylvania. We knew his parents. How old is he now? He is 19 now. In case we haven't explained it and, you know, no one knows exactly what we're talking about, we're talking about the Survivor Zombiac graphic novel. And I, I want to call it the Survivor's Guide to Zombiac's Apocalypse or something like that. Yeah, it's the Survivor's Zombinac, which is kind of like, it's based on the Farmer's Almanac. I keep seeing these stories, or my wife tells me about these stories of people eating other people in the news and stuff like that, and they're not on drugs or whatever. I mean, do you really think we're getting close to the zombie apocalypse? I think it's a fun topic to write about, talk about. I think it captures people's interests. And obviously, right now, zombie fever is at an all-time high with you know books like The Walking Dead and shows, and it's kind of opened it up to the average person all across the world. It's like another year, 2014 rolls over, and zombies still seem a bit unstoppable. I think zombies are always going to have a place like werewolves and vampires and the mummy. And, you know, there's these classic creature archetypes, I guess. And they sometimes rotate who's on the top and who's, you know, not quite as popular. But I think it'll never go away. Because I remember in the 70s, you know, you may have had your monster here, there, your wolf here, there, Wolfman, you know, but really it was like the vampires that ruled to me the 70s. And, you know, like your demonic movies and stuff. You make an interesting point that this time it could be just the zombies' turn in history. Yeah, I think when you look back, you have breakout movies for like a werewolf during a vampire time frame or a zombie time frame. But right. in the end, I think it's a cycle. And I think that's the great thing about all these zombie-related projects that are out there is that they may go away or not be as popular a year or two from now, but right. you know, six, seven years, it may come back and be the next big thing. So that's why projects like the Zomanac are just, they're fun to do. And I know they'll be rediscovered right. every so often, even when my kids get older and maybe their kids, you know, it'll be something fun that, hey, this is what my grandfather wrote about. Wow, this is cool, man. You're giving me a totally... I'm not going to say new perspective, but you are giving me perspective and it does feel kind of fresh. And I'm thinking that that you're having a lot of fun with this. They kind of describe it like a zombie candy bar for your brain. When you look at The Walking Dead, it's such an epic. So maybe that's like a 10 course meal. This is something fun. You take in the car, you share with some friends. I do the top five vehicles for a zombie apocalypse. Rattle those off of me, man, because I really have to know that. Number five, of course, is a camper. And then number four might be the car, any kind of car, as long as you can drive the car, it has gas, you know, use it to get out of town type thing. Number three, of course, I love the jacked up truck, like a, a large truck or SUV. Yeah. I get a little discussion on number two, because for me, I think a fire engine is a great vehicle. Now it's big. It might be a little tough to get used to driving. But when you think of everything that's on a fire engine, from a water reservoir to, you know, like axes, oh, yeah. things like that, it's it's an armory just waiting to get you to wherever you need to go. I was really thinking you need something nimble and fast, but if you yeah. got one of those snub-nosed fire engines, it would essentially have pretty much everything you needed. You could actually pitch tents on the top of it, and you can camp out of reach of zombies. I don't know if that'll do it right. You, you, <laughs> you're a little shaky on that camp out of it, because that's only like, you know, six feet high. Zombies are kind of ruthless, man. I don't think that would stop them. The number one pick that I came up with was an ambulance. Why? Think about everything that's in an ambulance, from sleeping arrangements, there's a cot in there, 
There's all sorts of life-saving material. No water, though. No water, but in the book, I actually have a list of everything in the ambulance to kind of justify why I would pick it. But you can find an ambulance in any town, and ambulances are quick to get around oh, they and are fast. Uh, you know, easy to drive. I really like the T-shirt. I guess it proves if you're dead or alive, you know. You don't have to test if you're wearing one of those shirts, but that could be a misleading thing, and then you could get yourself really in trouble that way. <laughs> but yeah. did people say you were crazy when you tried to bring out this line of zombie X, you know, merchandise and stuff? The thing that was really important to me was trying to differentiate myself from all the other zombie-type items out there. So oh. I thought the not-zombie brand of T-shirts and survival bandanas you know, bright colors to show the world that you're not dead, you're just dead tired. You know, I thought that would be kind of cute. That is cool. Like as if you're wandering after four or five days through the woods, you're staggering around. So the bright shirt keeps people from accidentally shooting you thinking you're a zombie because you're moaning and, you know, you need a drink of water. What would be my top three weapons if I wanted to protect myself against zombies? When you look at the weapons portion I have in there, it talks about I call it a defensive weapon for when you find that place that you're going to call your home. And I call it the zombie spear, basically. And it's kind of like a javelin, and it, you just can kind of thrust it into their brain and remove it really easy. <laughs> Once you say that this is the main weapon that you're going to have on the road, right. you'll get so many people like, you're wrong. You know, some people are like, oh, the hammer's the best, or a hatchet's the best, or a samurai sword, right. or a shotgun. So I tried to I tried to just say, hey, I know you have your offensive weapons, and I'm not going to, like, step on your toes with any of those. Just do whatever you feel is right. But here's my reasoning for when you find that place, and you have a chain link fence between you and some zombies, here's why you want the zombie spear and here's how you kind of make it, and just some fun examples of that. I just wish there was a clean and fast way to get it over, because I'm kind of squeamish, and so it's hard to, you know, the zombie apocalypse would be hard for a guy like me, man. And that's why I wrote the book from an average person's point of view, because not everybody wants to get out there and no. kill a bunch of zombies and stuff. Some people are just like, I just want to kind of sit this one out, let you take care of all that, and I'm going to hunker down and have my food and a comfortable place to be and, you know, have my defensive weapons and use my transportation. You know, so it's kind of, mm. what can the average person realistically, um, what would be the options for them? And that's kind of different than a lot of the stuff that's out there where they portray these, you know, big heavy duty zombie killers with, you know, all these knives and guns and they're perfect marksmen and things like that. You know, not all of us can pick up a gun and be like, oh, I'm going to kill 20 zombies today. It's just not... Yeah practical and if you have to go to kickstarter to check this out or to purchase yourself a copy check out the survivors zombinac graphic novel and if you can't find it there you get lost you get a little confused because i admit there are a lot of zombie ish products out there you can always go to djgrandpa.com dude thank you very much for coming on the show man and sharing a piece of your world well i greatly appreciate you having me so thank you so much Congratulations to former music guest Olivier Trion, who just released his new CD, Kosimka, with the London Symphony Orchestra. Without further ado, let's play a song and dedicate it to Ava, with best wishes for her recovery.
Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel and we cover the globe. Dun, 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 dun. Up next, the weird crime theater. Kumar, welcome to the crib, man. Oh, thank you. Is that an Australian name? It doesn't sound like one. I'm an Indian-born Canadian. Somehow I ended up here through a long chain of events. You get around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I see you have this, uh, I don't know if it's racy, but it seems like an exciting comic. Racy is a great word, which I never thought of before. But it's, <laughs> it's really accurate, I think. I should have come up with that myself. I don't know if you're making fun of me or if you're... No, no, I, no, it's so true, because I'm always trying to find words... I've thought of sleazy and perverse and degenerate, um, but racy has never come up. That's pretty accurate. Okay, we danced around the whole comic, man. But okay. sooner or later, you have to come and explain what it's all about. It started with the artist just had these two images of these characters. And uh, one was this chain-smoking guy with the pompadour and a business suit. Right. And one was this schoolgirl barbarian carrying a huge broadsword, which is almost bigger than her. His only idea was maybe they could be like, they fight crimes like the X-Files, like offbeat stuff. And I thought, okay, but my thing was, because at the time we started it, and even now, there weren't really a lot of humor comics, and I really wanted to do something that was as energetic and right. as high speed as Mad Magazine. That was kind of my thing. I love those old Superman comics from the 60s where things didn't make any sense, but they were super imaginative. And, you know, like Supergirl was having a kind of on and off again romance with the Super Horse, and nobody really questioned that. <laughs> and I just thought, I just want to put everything in there that I love and just, I made them bumbling detectives rather than just detectives. So it's kind of like the Pink Panther meets like any of those adult swim shows like Death Clock or Venture right. Brothers or something like that. So that's kind of the tone of it. There's not really much more to explain except they fight mummies and Bigfoots and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's really a collection of short stories over those 130 pages. There's like 10 stories in there maybe. It's starting to remind me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the girl a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. She's more straight ahead Schwarzenegger and Conan. She's got that accent and she's kind of single-minded. Kick butt and ask questions later. Both of them. They tend to perpetrate more crimes than they actually solve. <laughs> well, then they're not crime fighters. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's probably like a five-to-one ratio, I guess, from the amount of collateral damage that they cause before they, you know, solve whatever they're trying to solve. So they have the best of intentions, but somehow fall short. So if the government has these jobs they don't want to do, like we've got this Bigfoot, we don't care. They pay these guys, you know, like 15 bucks an hour to go out and uh, with their guns and their swords and solve these things for them. Wow, they're almost like the Ghostbusters. They seem to cause more trouble than they fixed. Yeah, that's a good comparison too. So basically, you want to get paid for creating the weird, the avant-garde. Yeah. The things that are on the periphery of your eye that people normally don't want to acknowledge that are there. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to pretend I was like Masterpiece Theater or something. You can try to talk about the book seriously, but I, it's so off the wall, I don't think. Right. I've tried to describe it sometimes in, in very straightforward terms, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just, it's just bonkers. I don't want you to, to be straight-laced with it. I want the weird, the far side, the farcical. Even the main characters are on the far side, and they've got other guys that also are subcontracted and sometimes they get teamed up with different guys and it's kind of interchangeable, but they're all kind of fringe dwellers and 
the people that society left behind, they all end up right. having to do this because they can't really find any other work. Weird crime theater. 130 pages, that seems like a lot. It's 10 years of work. Right. The work just accumulated and just grew so huge, and we're like, now we've got a, a full book, let's just try to do it as a book, and that's how, uh, that's how it turned into that huge thing. There was no way this book was gonna come out looking like anything else. Like, it's got a completely different perspective. It's kind of therapeutic, because as ridiculous as most of the stories are, we really just like, what are the things you love most and what do we most want to see? We just put as much of that out there as we could. And there was some super cool pics in there, man. Kudos to your artist, man. So you you just wrote the story, though. You just crafted the story? Or, I or just scripted it, yeah, and wrote the stories, and um, he draws them, and it's a symbiotic relationship. Did the pictures lead you, or did you lead the pictures? Usually I come up with an idea, and then I bat, we bat it back and forth, and he's like, I don't like that part of it, or how about if we do this instead? And we kind of mold it into something, and then I write out the script, and then uh, he draws it, and that's, that's usually the way it works. For anyone out there, man, you like comics, you like superheroes that, you know, they have the best of intentions, but sometimes they don't get it right, man. They're merely human. Go to Kickstarter and check out Weird Crime Theater. It's a fully packed comic book and if you can't find it there if you get lost if you get discouraged for any reason always go to djgrandpa.com kumar man you and your man from japan you're doing an excellent job man and keep up the graphics man i love graphics man i love comics man i wish i could draw as well as you guys have put this project together man but um i'll have to live vicariously through both of you thank you man I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. Rufus.